This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to Reporters Without Orders. Order, order. Hello and welcome to Reporters Without Orders, a podcast where we talk about what made news, what didn't and some things that absolutely shouldn't have. Today I have with me Shrishti Jaiswal and Oishika Nyogi, if I'm saying your name right. That is perfect. <laughs> right. And they're both independent writers and independent journalists. Uh, Shrishti is an independent journalist. She's written for News Laundry, Caravan, Vice, Al Jazeera and more. She's also a grantee at the Pulitzer Center. And today she's with us to talk about her latest report for Al Jazeera, the human cost of India's year-long farmers' protest. Oishika Nyogi is a human rights researcher and writer at Karwane Mohabbat. Karwane Mohabbat is an organization or a people's campaign led by Harsh Mandar, and a lot of their work is focused on documenting hate crimes against minorities in India. Oshika has also freelanced for Scroll, Wire, and Article 14, and she recently wrote a report on Article 14 titled Three Jharkhand Widows Struggle to Get By Years After Cow Vigilantes Lynched Their Husbands. First of all, hello and welcome to News Laundry, both of you. I'm so glad you're here today. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it's it's nice to be, fun here. to be here. So I'll start with your report, Oishika, since we have a lot to talk about today. Your report tells us the story of three women uh, from Jharkhand, Saira Bibi, Mariam and Anita Minj. These are three women who were widowed after their husbands were brutally lynched to death. Their deaths and the fates of their family and the slow progress of the criminal justice system is sort of what you uh, touch upon in your report. Tell me a little bit about how this report came about, how you met these women. So, like you said, I'm a human rights researcher with Karva and um, about two, two and a half months back is when I went to Charkhand to meet some of our victim families that we support there across the state. And that is when we met such families um, whose husbands, whose men, children uh, were lynched to death, either on the spot or later they succumbed to their injuries. And that's when I met these three women. I think how this uh, piece came to be was uh, when I met them, it was peculiar. It was, they had a kind of conviction and strength, you know, that I just cannot, you know, get past. Like it's, it's itched and I could not stop thinking about it because you would imagine like after everything they have been through after all these years, they're still fighting a battle. And this time it's not just with the legal system. Like, sure, they're trying to get justice for their husbands, for what happened, but they're also doing it for the survival, for their kids, for their kids' education, for their daily livelihood, you know, to get their basic needs met. So I think that is a story that really stayed with me because we often hear of hate crimes and we report it when the hate crimes happen. We talk about it, hopefully enough for everybody else to know, but what after that? That story is over, but these families have to live with it. They are still living with it pretty much every day. And even if they do get justice from the legal system, like how are we supporting them as the state or as individuals for them to get anything of their life back? You know, so I think that is what um, got this piece to be. So So I'm assuming when you go there as a researcher, generally uh, a lot of the stories in the documentation goes into a fact-finding sort of report. Uh, But was there something about these three women as such 
which made you feel like this had to become a journalistic report yes maybe like i i think again this was more of a personal call because you know when i spoke to them for example mariam khatun was a tree my mom's age she wasn't scared she didn't need her story like she she wasn't like you know you do write my story there wasn't anything of that sort but the way she was talking you know with the conviction she had her son died um, a year and a half after her husband died and even then there wasn't a single tear she shed you know it was more like okay i have kids I have to take care of them. She was talking to me about her daughter, who's literally my age, who wants to do nursing. There were parts of all their stories. Anita means she hasn't seen her kids in like three months now. She is staying in a small makeshift room at a construction site where she is working right now, and that's a lot. I wouldn't say there was an urgency, but there was a requirement for their story to be told. And there's a there's a line in your report, or rather a sentence in your report, uh, which actually really caught my attention. And I'll quote you here: You say, "Their deaths, the fates of their families, and the slow progress of the criminal cases against their attackers are emblematic of the empowerment of Hindu vigilantes in Jharkhand, where those murders have primarily been Muslims and some Christians or tribals." In this line, you sort of make it clear that this isn't. merely a sort of sad story about three women but you're also asking us to reflect on the systemic issues right and you sort of point at two um, levels of problems one is at the criminal justice level and one is at the policy level um and the problem with how data is given out and not given out if you can tell us a little bit about the status of cases of the men who have died and what toll that has taken on the three women who've had to have literally been thrown into the criminal justice system and what is happening at the policy level okay so uh, first going on with their cases so muslim ansari's case um there were men convicted in all these cases let's understand that witnesses did say there were a number of other people also involved there was in a few cases there was political support there were leaders political leaders seen at the site or you know their speeches have probably incited the violence or there was an atmosphere created for such a hate crime to occur so in muslim ansari's cases the perpetrators were sentenced to life imprisonment and their bails have been rejected and they are still in jail so that's that's that but in ali muddin ansari's case who is uh, mariam khatun's husband um there were 10 or 11 perpetrators and eight of them got bail so today they are out in the free they appealed um uh, saying that there is there has to be a stay on their sentence and they have also their hearing should be happening rather soon and when you say they out on bail do they live in the same yes. village in the yes. same area so she's also confronting so them every day so they are in ramgarh which is the town where even mariam khatun stays with the children so it is very often that you know they go to the market and one of them is there somebody's friend is there and you know mariam khatun herself was telling me that you know like i have seen them it's not like i haven't seen them but there's nothing i can do like so when even their life imprisonment initially happened with the district court she had said i don't want capital punishment for them it's not about capital punishment i just want them to be in to suffer what they, for what they did it's not death that i'm seeking for you know uh but after they got bail from the high court there is absolutely nothing in the same town there is no protection for mariam khatun's family um so in case tomorrow anything they go to the market and they end up coming together face to face then there is no protection of and sorts and is she scared no she is not she is actually extremely um uh, strong minded and she knows what she is doing is right and i mean in this thing she was telling me you know she was just talking to me and she's like mujhe darne ki zarurat hai nahi hai 
मैंने कुछ गलत किया है यहाँ पे तो मैं क्यों डरूँ विच इज़ एक्चुअली आई मीन इट्स क्वाइट कमेंडेबल दैट शी इज़ नॉट स्केर बट इट इट्स सैड दैट वी हैव टू पुट वेमेन इन दैट पोजिशन टू बिकम दैट ब्रेव एग्जैक्टली लाइक द फैक्ट दैट शी हैज़ टू से समथिंग लाइक दैट टू मी आई फील लाइक शी इज़ ऑल्सो टेलिंग हर सेल्फ you know and not just the other person for anita minj it is actually so they're all they were in jail only for 9 months and they were all given bail with just like a 10000 rupees fine each to anita minj and i mean to just think about the fact that they lynched her husband and what they have to do is give a 10000 rupees fine and now when she goes she has she's still in the legal battle when she goes to the court herself uh she often meets the perpetrators on the same bus so she was like you know i am in the same i am in the same place with them literally it's confined so if tomorrow i am going alone if tomorrow something happens then what so in this entire procedure in this entire legal system in the policy making jharkhand today as we speak their winter state registration is supposed to begin and they have uh, drafted an anti lynching bill for the first time this is perhaps a fourth state that is going to be doing that and this is actually a rather comprehensive bill that they have drafted which finally talks about protection of witnesses the role of police compensation all of that but before that at least until the bill is passed or anything actually ends up happening there is no system to protect all of them so it's not just the fact that you're giving bail to the perpetrators or the perpetrators are roaming free but the people who are fighting the battle are also not safe so they're literally doing it it's all to go or not to go you know like anything can happen and there is no sense of anything from the judiciary or from the police system um in the report we also talk about the police their perception and according to one of the studies um it says that one out of every 3 police officers believe it's justified for the perpetrators to want to punish people who are doing any kind of you know cow trade beef trade so we also need to understand all these cases um all the mobs were gaurakshaks they weren't just random mobs it's not just about like just a random fit some hatred da 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 it's it's literally to protect one's religion in the name of beef you know so um all of them are gaurakshaks and now they have there is no protection there is no protection against gaurakshaks there is no law so this vigilante actions are and it's just, drastically increased after 2014 it has right that's it what has. the data says yeah, yeah. Did you have any questions for uh, I I'm just curious to know how are they handling the legal expenses because I believe that uh, they might not have the avenues to pay for it so how are they going about it I'm really glad you asked this question actually so these widows are given a pension of merely rupees 1000 per month from the state so first that is extremely meager and they have a compensation from the jharkhand state of 2 lakhs so now you can appeal to you know um, the human rights commission you can appeal to jhalsa you can do all of that but your compensation as much is 2 lakhs and that kind of just about suffices the legal costs so unless and until you have a civil society group you know lawyers pro bono lawyers coming to you and helping you with this entire procedure it is extremely taxing like for example for anita minj it is a toll to travel to the court this would in turn create a vicious cycle of poverty for the entire 
the entire generation of the even the children and everyone and it's so difficult to come out of that especially because in india i have seen uh, a lot of families go into very severe poverty just because uh, the husbands have died they are the breadwinners in the family and women they have to take care of the family and just ensure that they are running the household as well so it's just a lot of task on one person and it's just too much difficult no and i'm also curious you know are are children of these men who've passed away are they angry is there a sense of because uh, a lot of times it happens that a lot of these kids then you know want to take revenge or they internalize this hate um what happens to them like wh- where are they at so um i truly believe uh, that hate comes from the surrounding you're in like you you build in this strong emotion of hate with the people you are what you hear and what you talk about and all of that like at least for these three families 100% i have not felt when i met them i did not feel um, any kind of hate they want to study so more often than not in all these life for example uh, mariam khatun's son wants to engineering and is studying also a way to escape that surrounding I think studying for them is more to take care of their mothers because um uh, like she was saying very correctly there is no way of you know uh, taking up expenditure now these women who are at home who are also taking care of multiple kids and perhaps their in-laws perhaps you know like their parents or however they don't have a source of livelihood now there is no livelihood support given to them so often the kids want to just like fatafat you know get to some work and that often makes them you know not do the education completely and all of that now you can't blame anybody for that like they just want to earn enough so this has a ripple effect i mean of course when you can count statistics and give data on crime this also has a ripple effect on enrollment rate in schools and and nutrition and all of it together because it of course increases financial burden on the family in many ways right absolutely it in a way becomes a vicious cycle you know there's no end to it and so of course the enrollment drops down so they won't get the good job if they don't have the good job it would not be good money if they don't have the good money it would not be the nutritious food on the table it just goes on that's that's absolutely correct Another thing that I wanted to ask you was uh so you went there as a researcher uh do you uh, did you sense any distrust or exasperation with the media there have um, there are two parts of this if i may uh one is that when media has covered it uh, what kind of media has covered it so conventional national media the amount they have covered it is far lesser than what independent journalists and independent news sources have so that is one of them and the second thing is with the families it's not like reporters don't come and meet them they do that with mariam khatun they do it till today you know they keep going and talking and everything uh but there is no sense of um getting back to them you know so if i've written a piece on somebody um on sani tamij like it is my duty i would like to believe that i will tell her you know that i wrote something and even if it's in english and you know you you can't read it it's too long whatever however but it's my duty to let them know that you know um i've written something that is not something that they have now they're not going to surf the internet and look at media sources right so it's very difficult for them to understand what the media is really talking about them and after a point they've honestly just given up they're just like it's fine it's okay to like like a media person if they aren't sweet to me if they don't ask me um they get your questions then it's then it's fine but apart from that they have 
thankfulness or gratefulness or admiration for the media there hasn't been any help given from the media right and since your primary role on field tends to be that of a researcher i would say you have this opportunity to sort of step back and watch how journalism operates right do you feel like um and i'm also guessing the nature of your conversation is much more in depth or you don't have the typical deadlines of coming back and filing the story right so do you feel like uh, there are things that journalism actually misses out while telling stories like this because of the structure of the format in which it's uh, given out and put out do you feel like journalists miss certain human aspects of the story so before we start this podcast we had this small discussion where i feel like i am in this like one really thin line between a researcher and a writer so um yes i can look at both i would like to hope and understand which one could do the rest um as for media and journalists who have gone there there are two parts to this one is that i think stories need to be in depth as a researcher this could just be my researcher bias but i think it's very important for the story to be holistic so if you're telling me about uh you know the victim's family you also need to tell me what the state is doing about it in the same piece because like a reader is just going to read one piece and understand and get whatever they have to get from that issue you know from that incident so i really wish um journalism and journalistic articles uh, gets a more holistic purpose and holistic nature to their writing not like not a lot of them do like some of them definitely have that but there are a lot that miss out on that um then second is that when you're writing about an incident um and there's something that i've had discussions with various people that i feel like it's important to go and meet that person um phone conversations or you know secondary resources just doesn't do justice to what you want to write and what you want to express about the incident you know because there's so much you understand when you meet that person so at least for a few uh pieces that i read about you know the jharkhand victims when you know when i was writing this issue after i met them i came back and i was like you know what let let's see what others have written about this there were factual inaccuracies very tiny ones very very tiny 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 ones but i believe that only happens when you go and meet you know people so i believe that if i zoom out and see and i also understand like it is a very difficult job journalism is a very difficult job so i have a huge amount of respect for people um uh, who can do that but a complete holistic and factually accurate thing is something probably the researchers would like to say that you know we would like to do that you want us to focus on more <laughs> <laughs> but shrishti fai to ask you the same question because you went from working at a newspaper to working um uh, in a space where you're freelancing and you i'm assuming have a little more freedom in writing in depth reports now and going into long form so have you felt that you know in comparison to what you were doing before and now there's a massive difference in how you approach stories because you don't have to meet the typical deadlines editor you have more um, agency over your reports do you feel that way um i think it works both ways mm. so for example for breaking news stories or uh, you know something so of course there's i'm not able to report on them mm. and because you know you need an immediate response from the editor and often the stories that i do take more time so usually the breaking news is no no for me and that takes away the rush of the journalism that you know i really yeah. enjoyed that when i was working full time but at the same time i think i have some time to sit back and analyze the issue in more depth and uh, that also gives me a bit more uh, you know 
grasp over the issue and then you know i can work over a lot of nuances and think at multiple levels so it of course increases the depth and you know just gives more layers to the story um so it i feel goes both ways for yeah. me and speaking of your report like about 4 days ago we were at singhu uh, me and my colleague the farmers after almost a year and a half have cleared the protest sites and they're making their way back home now isn't it surreal it <laughs> I is never it is actually expected yeah. uh, so i was a uh, little curious and you know i was thinking what would be the fate of farmers protest it's been uh, i was planning actually the story for one year anniversary so there was this report which uh, came out that majority of farmers who have died on singhu tikri and all the other borders they were marginal and small farmers yeah. they were not having a lot of land holding and they were very poor most of them were landless and i was very curious about it and i thought that it's going to be one year for the farmers protest and let's do something about it let's go and meet them and you know uh, what is the human cost of the farmers protest and um, so while i was doing that i had already interviewed the person before uh, mr modi made this announcement and you know that uh, the three laws are going to be repealed and everything so um, for me it was really surreal and i had had to twist the story in one day um i think it, it had a even more different angle to it or whatever we can call it that the person whom i have profiled yeah. in the story died just 10 days before this announcement yeah. and you know what does it mean for his family you know sometimes of course a lot of these families consider these deaths as sacrifices and they, they call martyrs yeah shaheed yeah. you know they they are respected a lot but for these particular families especially for this particular one family just 10 days yeah. it was it was a very like i remember we were on the same sort of trajectory because we were just planning like a five story uh, uh, package for the one year anniversary so i think right before it happened we were spending two weeks on field me and shivangi and i remember we were just about to leave to tikri and raman sir called and said have you watched the news <laughs> and uh, it was completely surreal so we also had to change everything that we were doing in that uh, few minutes but i mean hats off to their uh, resilience to continue remaining there till they actually got everything they wanted uh, at least most of what they wanted you know the basic research that i did was of course the news reports and yeah. i went through and you know read a lot of case studies then i went through that entire research paper and everything but one thing that really helped me out was the uh, there was this young uh, protester harinder happy yeah and he works with darshan pal yeah yeah right? so yeah. he has compiled the entire data of deaths and uh, so when this news broke so i just wrote to him congratulations mm-hmm. and he wrote to me congratulations to you too as well uh, so i was talking to him i think two or three days before the news broke and you know he, he was telling me how difficult it is for him to compile the data for the deaths yeah. he gets the photographs of the people who have died the family members uh, details their family history and everything and they very meticulously have created a blog where they write all the data and you know compile it and see and he was telling me that it's taking a toll over him it's not easy to do this i think especially for harinder if i'm right he is uh, from the dalit community and he works with darshan pal one of the farmer leaders and samyukt kisan morcha has no dalit leader so for him it's also like a way of 
I, as far as I understand, there's also that sort of frustration. And then having to prioritize what to focus on. Right now, it's the farm laws. And, and like you were saying, you know, a lot of the deaths are landless laborers. It also means that a lot of them are Dalit from the Dalit yeah, caste. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, the thing is that uh, for this particular case study, uh, I, of course, wanted to profile a Dalit man. But uh, the reason I chose this particular case study was because he died just 10 days before the... And he was the last suicide. And I, that was like the cost that the family had to bore. So tell us, tell us about Gurpreet Singh. Like, introduce us uh, to Gurpreet Singh. So, uh, Gurpreet Singh was just an ordinary farmer. You know, he was. Nobody thought that he could take that step. Neither his family, nobody else. You know, of course, he was as involved in farmer protest as anybody else. He would never shy away from going to the farmers' protest, despite the fact that he was doubling as a driver and as a milkman to ensure because he was a landless farmer. So he had rented, I think, one acre of land so that he can grow some fodder for his. Uh, animals mm -hmm. but uh, he has lost his land uh, sometime back because of the natural calamity and his um, crop of potato I think it gone bad and you know he was under a very severe debt so um, he was just another farmer and you know nobody thought that he could take that step and uh, just uh, he had gone to the protest site just two days before mm -hmm. he killed himself and uh, at that time, uh, for one day or so, around 12 o'clock noon, uh, he stopped attending calls of his family. He told them that his f phone has no battery and please stop calling him. When this thing happened and uh, the family was calling father the entire night, the phone was switched off. And in the morning when phone got switched on, they got a call from father's phone and they were told that father is no more. And it was such a shock to them. They were not ready to believe it. it was 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 there any specific reason why he decided so, to... So, uh, the farmers who were present there on the spot, they saw that on his hand, the word Zimmedar was engraved in Punjabi. And uh, so it could mean a lot of things. There was no suicide note which was recovered. The family believes that Zimmedar maybe means that he's responsible for his own death. Right. Whereas the farmers mean that the he wanted to point out to uh, the government that they are responsible for it. Mm. But uh, it was very difficult to actually understand what went through his mind. And um, some of the news report that uh, right after his death, you know, mentioned that he was very severely sad during those times. But he never mentioned it to his family. Never mentioned to his family, but he did mention it to the farmers who were there on the spot. And he would, actually he was torn. He wanted to be the part of the farmer's protest, but he was working as a driver mm -hmm. back in home uh, for a private university. And since it was opening up, it was, you know, the COVID restrictions were no longer in place. So it was very difficult for him to manage. And, uh, you know, he would just uh, go for 15 days and then come back, go for one week and then come back, you know, and then his son would go. So it was difficult and he was, you know, torn that how long this will go. Yeah. And he was very emotionally attached to the farmer's protest. You know, uh, how I got to know about this was that he would spend the entire day on phone. Mm -hmm. If he was not at Singhu, then he would come back home and, you know, spend entire day on Facebook looking for updates. He would, you know, talk just about the farmer's protest. The involvement was very severe. That is why also I wanted to profile this case was that the mental health and the involvement 
of the people who protest you know just to see something so difficult that the government is was not responding to their demands and you know there was and it's just too difficult you know the uh, research paper that i read it mentions that how difficult they are living like homeless people mm. in tents you know there's hail the sun there's extreme winter you know i mean smog, in a sense it's yeah. like displaced within your own country absolutely moment, absolutely right? and you know and you know when you enter it's actually when you enter singu there is a, a a tent which has a board outside which records uh, days of protest hours minutes and deaths um and there's almost 700 over 700 deaths that they have been they have recorded over the last one year and the government at this point says that there is no record of these deaths Also, like, do you know if the four deaths in Lakhimpur Kheri were counted by the government when they say there's no record of? So basically, the government says that there's no record because they have not maintained a record. Of It course. It doesn't mean that yeah. there is no death and yeah. stuff like that. Uh, just because they have not maintained a record, so that is why they say as simple as that. Which is similar in the case of lynching as well, right? NCRB doesn't. uh give any data nothing so ncrb ha- does not have a distinction for lynchings and uh the home ministry has also said that so initially there there was a debate about this um i think a year back where there was a demand for you know they they collected the data they collected it's not like they didn't collect it they didn't release and it it's just so opaque and data is very important to know what is the prevalence of these yeah. things and it's also important because the nature of the crime defines how the family uh, who's left behind ends up living right if it's it's not a it's not just a murder it's a hate crime right so the family of course faces ostracization after um and that's why it's important to have these categories right like because it defines how a family lives on just like the people who died at the protest like she was saying you know it's not just death they died protesting through through the weathers through everything like i remember when they had come to jantar mantar the first day when they had come i had gone there to you know cover it and there was the number of police officers the number of crpf officers were in thousands yeah. in that place you know and there were 200 farmers inside imagine like like you spoke about mental health it's amazing that you spoke about it like these 200 farmers who are sitting inside sitting on chairs and just talking about you know trying to debate it amongst themselves and stuff like that they had they are surrounded by police officers how do they feel there's this saying that a lot of my kashmiri friends repeat that uh, after 370 was removed so they wanted to make kashmir a part of india yeah. and now it's kashmirization of india which is <laughs> happening so the like you were saying about that there were so many policemen for one uh, protester or one farmer i think that's the very case back there also and the there's a striking similarity in all these cases that we are discussing whether this is a lynching case or the farmers protest or even the kashmir issue that it's just the suppression the mm-hmm. sheer suppression of dissent which is going on and uh, the state is ready to go at any length in fact the media is also accountable for it yeah. like the 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 things that the media doesn't show is very revealing of the things we're willing to not talk I about i often contrast this with the protest for the nirbhaya mm. uh, you know that time media was actually holding powerful to the count and uh, it yeah. was like you know media if there were uh, water cannons or lathi charge during on the protesters you know the uh, the amount of coverage that got was something which was very 
severe and that is something if it was there it wouldn't have taken one year for the farmers protest it would yeah. have been much shorter yeah. and much less lives would have Absolutely. been lost yeah. actually i was very curious to know about the fate of farmers protest also because uh, the media coverage was slowly dying yeah which is what i wanted to ask you when you went to meet the family i know that the farmers have been very very skeptical of the media right so they like even when we go they're checking our press card they want to know if you're a youtube journalist or a, how how was it, how did the family respond to you they were very kind right. and uh, so i went through the farmers union so mm. you know it was i already had a like they were keen to talk mm. and um, they were very kind and i also felt like you know maybe i was you know kind of asking too many questions and you know mm-hmm. it so the yeah so, so the wife she started crying and you know she was split the son was holding himself but i could see that he was on the you know he was just about to cry but uh for the i i felt like you know it was difficult for me as a journalist as well because mm-hmm. i could feel that i am crossing that line and i could feel that you know it's just um, i did not want to ask the questions honestly you know because i knew that this is um it's more traumatic for them and i felt like for me it's just a report for them it's a life Did, have you faced that as well i think i think when she says that i am genuinely reminded of so tomorrow is the two years of jantar mantar and yeah. one of my um longest projects was in northeast delhi after the violence um so me and my partner researcher we both went to shivihar you know khajuri khas jafarabad and i happened to be there on the on the one year anniversary of the riots if we call it that uh then so i went in spoke to a few families and when i was talking to them like every time when i met them it was like okay i need to be careful i need to be careful but they were just like they, first they were really kind but they were also just as strong in telling me the story but that they one lady saw me and she refused to come out okay she was a really old mother she had a 24 year old son who whose dead body came back completely burned dead body had come back on that very day last year so i went there and i wanted to meet her and she said no so i was like you know it's fine then the neighbors went like nahi nahi bula dete hain to niche aaye and she looked at me and she went like kya chahte ho and i was like peeche kuch sawal puchna tha agar abhi waqt nahi hai to koi dikkat nahi hai and she goes like kya sawal puchna tha mere bete ko wapas leke aaoge क्या ही सवाल पूछ लोगे आप सो दैट एंड देन शी सेट दैट एंड फॉर लाइक थ्री सेकेंड्स वी लुकिंग एंड शी जस्ट लुक एंड दैट अमाउंट ऑफ पेन यू नो फॉर मी इट्स प्रॉबली जस्ट एन आर्टिकल यू नो आई बी सैड फॉर दैट डे बट देन माई लाइफ विल गो ऑन बट फॉर देम टू रीलिव दैट स्टोरी टू टू लिव विद दैट पेन दैट दिस हैपन टू मी एंड नो मैटर वॉट यू डू टूडे no matter how many stories you tell my life is not going to come back inflicting yeah. that pain it's always i think a fine line i mean for me it's happened with hadris report because we've been back a few times and it's almost become this thing that the moment they see you it's a it's it's that memory right you become like the face of what happened so yeah another question that i actually want to ask both of you is um 
a lot of your story also the central voices are of women right you have three women in your story you have gurpreet's wife who's also talking including her son but i'm curious when you're on field um, to me it's happened couple of times the men around try to complete their sentences uh, they try to speak for them did that happen with the story did you have to navigate like really have to focus on listening to the woman's voice I personally did have to because um these women now that you know they're widowed and they have other family members who happen to be men and sometimes it's a grown up son or it's sometimes you know brother in law brother you know somebody or the other who is just there it often happens because you know okay so the when one of them uh, we met one woman who I have not mentioned this report and she came to another room like we had to go to another room to talk and the brother came along saying that she is too sad i will have to be here to tell you what exactly happened and i had to tell him that it's fine you know i'll figure it out like you you can sit here if you want to but don't say anything and she said it it took you know and the way she said it was so much different than something everybody else told me you know right. and this keeps happening it it is mohalle wale jama ho jayenge या फिर रैंडम पीपल विल जस्ट काम बी लाइक अरे अरे हम बोलते हैं हम बोलते हैं हम बोलते हैं तो वो तो काफ़ी होता है बट इट टेक्स लाइक यू हैव टू जेन्यूनली इन स्टेट ऑन लाइक देम टॉकिंग एंड होप एंड जस्ट ट्राई टू हियर देयर वॉइस इन दिस एंटायर के ऑर्स बिकॉज द अमाउंट दे से नो बडी एल्स नो बडी एल्स कैन एंड एंड यू शिशी डिड यू ऑल्सो एक्सपीरियंस इन दिस पर्टिकुलर केस द वुमेन वॉज वेरी इमोशनल सो आई wanted to talk to son more than her because i could feel like my conversation was inflicting pain but uh, i think she was more honest and uh, you know uh, for example in the last like how i conclude the story is that she says that she doesn't have strength to you know lose a son now and you know she she asks me that you know uh her husband died just 10 days before this entire thing what would they do without him and you know she was like if he had uh just given us even a brief hint i would have gone there myself to save him or you know just tell him please don't do it because she was like that that was the entire center so she's just survived by a son and you know they are just two they had a very happy family so she was uh she, i could get a sense that her it was just a small paradise that she was living in and that paradise was just turned into a hell and she could feel the pain and i could feel the son on the other hand was like no no you know i i will also go to farmers protest now and you know i will do but i could understand the amount of pain that was there in the family by talking to uh, mandeep kaur and uh, but you know having said that talking to her was uh more difficult because she and i could also feel like you know this is inflicting her pain because within the minutes of talking to her she started crying and you know she wanted to talk more about it but of course she was and i don't know like you know if i should ask her to calm down or you know i sh- if i should yeah. let her speak her mind and you know it was a difficult time for me as well because i was not able to decide so i had to call her son eventually there's a line in your report which uh, which struck me quite hard which where you say uh, and i quote she says everyone calls my husband a martyr but what about us what will we do without him does she feel like a martyr's wife or does she feel the loss more than anything i think she feels the loss more than anything because um 
she sees that there's a loss in the family more than it's a gain in the struggle right. and uh, for her it's she doesn't know how she will carry on with her life in absence of her husband and especially because they have a very hand to mouth situation and they have to struggle a lot to and the son is also very young he is in second year of bcom second or third year of bcom mm-hmm. and so probably he will have to drop out of his education to ensure the family stays afloat so she is also thinking of all these things the cost that now they have to pay mm-hmm. the husband has you know he is no more uh, but you know the real cost mm. is to be paid by their family you know the it's like a very strong pillar or you know yeah. that's just loss so it's like the struggle that awaits them is something that really makes her wonder if it's it's really worth it or not and especially because this is just 10 days before, before the repeat yeah, yeah. Uh, so yesterday we'd asked some of our viewers and listeners if they had any questions. So we have a few. I don't think we'd have a lot of time. Um, but one for Shristi was if Lakbir Singh's name was on the list. Lakbir is the is the guy who was beaten up and killed by the Nihang community there. So I was wondering if you had any idea. So honestly, uh, I did not check Lakbir Singh mm. uh, particularly because I was just checking based on the causes of deaths. Mm. I'll surely get back and uh, try to see. Yeah. Um, just for a uh, context for our listeners, Lakbir Singh, I think October, uh, he was a uh, he was also a Dalit man who was brutally killed by the Nihang community who are present at the uh, at Singhu border and I think at the other borders as well. But this. incident happened at singhu border um and his body was uh, hanging from one of the police barricades so uh, there was a question for shrishti but she is not sure so you will get back to us about yeah it. and i yeah. think it's very important that i look this up yeah, and i think it's a good question uh, yeah actually. it's a very good question yeah. and because it's it's a peculiar death that happened yeah. it's not just the regular death and yeah. uh, absolutely brutal Yeah. So of course I'll get back and you know look more into this. Yeah. I mean it's it's interesting because so we recently did a story on just looking at the uh, slogan Kisan Mazdoor Ekta and trying to understand who the kisan is and who the mazdoor is and if it's actually an ekta uh, even on even back home. So like our question technically was does Kisan Mazdoor Ekta go back home or does it or stay on the field? and during the course of that reporting is when i realized the nihang community is also dalit largely uh, but when this incident was reported it was reported as the nihang community brutalized a dalit man like it was also it wasn't because he was I dalit i think the entire picture of this particular case study did not come to the public right. domain yeah. yeah i think there's more that is needed yeah specifically you know under the circumstances it happened it happened yeah and uh, so i've been reporting on farmers protest for the way starting i think that you have been yeah. too that's not the situation i feel in in the farmers protest that mm. somebody can be lynched this way and it's yeah. just it's like a lot of um, and it could be because the farmers protest is of course uh, you know a capsule of what is the larger social yeah. spectrum but uh, you know there's very much of uh, you know like i i feel like i need to read more on this yeah absolutely well, no i i th- i think i completely agree like um we haven't seen enough of this entire reportage that hasn't been enough fact finding in this place to go back to the history of the nihang community the amount that i know there is a lot of um the fact that they twisted it like nithi said like you know nihang community brutalized the dalit man there has been this 
politics behind the caste and with the land you know so there is a history of this happening so the fact that the sentence was you know um termed this certain way was basically putting two communities against each other which technically doesn't have to like also because the sikh community takes a lot of offense to it and because they believe that sikhism itself doesn't have or believe in caste but we were speaking to desraj kali who's a punjabi writer and historian and he said something he said you know sikhism doesn't have caste but doesn't mean sikhs are not casteist but there's a lot of nuance to it and that's when i realized the lack of reportage i mean they don't perf- like so if you speak to a lot of sikh uh, community on ground they say that you know we don't practice untouchability in the same way that hindus do but when like we were speaking to um, uh, scholars who've researched this they were saying but they will also say we live separately mm-hmm. in the sense the uh, dalit community lives in the space where the sun sets and the upper caste lives where the sun rises and the reason for that is because apparently the wind blows from the side of the upper caste and they prefer that the wind doesn't blow from the dalit side so there is a very different kind of uh, untouchability um that the protest in itself has not tried to divide any anybody based on who they are yeah so i think that is something that was peculiar about this protest like when you went and met people and you just spoke to them like i remember this man i was in a similar way i was trying to understand lower caste upper caste you know divisions or for there the protest he joined to offense yeah he he took a lot of offense and he's like please like this is not that kind of a protest it is very difficult ask, to have this conversation know? there yeah so i think i think that is something that we that, that is very appreciative of the protest that just happened while i completely agree we should study and look into the communities that come together i think i don't think we have even the dalits who were at the protest uh, said that this is the first time in their life that they have been able to live and walk and eat along with the upper caste but on the other hand i also spoke to dalit women who said that you know now a lot of these upper caste men are coming back from the protest side believing that they have defeated modi and then that sense of inflated ego is going to be a very dangerous combination for us as dalit women in the village i think so, uh, we need to also acknowledge the you know dalits are uh they are somewhat very important when it comes to punjab politics yeah. you know how the entire game or the face of congress was changed because mr channi was yeah. appointed as a chief minister and it was a master stroke as a lot of people say you know it's just a breathing space for the congress to survive in these elections uh this is also a testament that dalit voices are being heard you know it's not um of course there are caste fault lines sometimes very violent and uh, you know a lot needs to be changed but it's also a reminder that something is changing of right course. now yeah. the voices are louder of course they're very louder very a lot of mlas they are from dalit community and you know they are doing very good and uh, so punjab is a very peculiar case study it has a lot of population of dalits which is why i think there's a massive difference in how caste plays out in punjab and how it probably plays plays out in up and other spaces this is actually from vivek who's asked us um, what support systems are there for reporters and i'm assuming also for independent writers who aren't part of massive established organizations i am i i i am not too sure i don't i don't think i'm the right person to ask for this but um as support systems i have not found 
many mm-hmm. um except the fact that uh, look i i started writing and i sent it to people and if it worked it worked if it didn't it didn't it was more of that i feel like reporters in itself this this community is actually very friendly to each other i would like to believe so i feel like yes, if you're in a place <laughs> if you're in a place um i would like to believe if i do meet a reporter if i do meet a writer like minded writer of course um it does become okay you know you'll do this i'll do this kind of sorts but what do you feel shristi like do you and i i know that you've had a lot of your own experiences but um do you feel it's become any more supportive uh for me i think i've got a lot of support in last one and a half years uh i often think that uh, so like you know my career has gone up and down a lot and uh, so at one point i thought that it, it's not going to survive you know i i i might not uh, get a job anywhere or i i might not survive as a journalist and uh, then i feel that somehow i got opportunity somehow i got support mentorship and uh, that too from the people who did not know me there were no previous interaction or anything like that just out of pure good intentions a lot of people did help me out and now when i look back and i think why did they help me out so i think it's the common love for journalism a lot of senior journalists they actually love journalism so much that they don't want to see young journalists fail yeah. that's only because all these people are really committed to the idea of journalism they are really committed to making journalism a secure place despite all the odds so i feel that it's a mixed bag there are challenges but if you are working hard so i'm definitely sure that you will make yeah. it you know you can do it because it is also cycle of building that credi- credibility as a yeah. as a reporter yeah before i leave you all i want to ask you do you have any recommendations if people do want to watch a show watch mind hunters guys okay. it's a wonderful so i have this thing for watching shows that are investigative in nature yeah. or like that kind of go into understanding what makes a killer what makes hate what makes all of that as well so i've been watching i've just binge watched mindy project yeah. and uh, it's 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 very good it's like a satirical take um, on a woman who is indian and uh, in usa um, you know who doesn't identifies as She's a hindu She's from the office no no uh, yeah 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 admini yeah. uh, keling so um it's like really funny and she mostly date white men and so it's kind of a very satirical uh, take where white men are fighting over her despite the fact that she doesn't qualify in the standard and it's a bizarre commentary on women's right and racism and all that stuff i would want to recommend this particular piece in the new yorker called beware of pity um it's by adam kush um it's he actually talks about a political theorist hannah arendt and uh, how she um so there's always this personal is the political conversation and this article looks at why she believed the personal is not the political it's a very old article 2009 it is it is it is yeah. a very old article and i thoroughly yeah, enjoy it absolutely i am a complete fan of anna if we are going the recommendations i think there's this another series that i absolutely love mm-hmm. the modern love uh, series oh, on yeah. new york yes. times you know it's i quite beautiful. beautiful it's, it's beautiful, beautiful in ideation it's beautiful in writing so thank you listeners for listening to news laundry we also have a lot more content on our website you can look up newslaundry.com we have long form articles interviews podcasts 
and uh, if you like our work please do go subscribe this is the first time we actually took some questions from listeners and i thought it was really interesting so y'all if you have more feedback criticism things you don't want us to talk about on the podcast please let us know also uh, before i conclude we had a lot of questions about how to intern at news laundry or apply here the one way to do it is writing to contact at newsonry.com and uh, one of us will respond to you and with that thank you for coming guys um thank you so much it was, was lots a of pleasure. fun yes it was and uh, with that this podcast is adjourned all the news laundry podcasts are available on stitcher itunes and any other podcast platform please subscribe to news laundry help us keep news independent Catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs, and sport. Visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Newslaundry.